Maya Angelou held me, right? And I feel like she imparted her amazingness. Hold on, hold on, what? Melanin and me, exploring the black woman's experiences in Britain. Hey, lovely ladies, welcome back to Melanin and me. Before we dive into today's episode, we want to remind you how you can stay up to date with our latest content. We release episode every Thursday, so make sure to subscribe to Melanin and Me on your preferred podcast platform so that you don't miss out on any episodes. You can also follow our inspiring content on social media by searching melanin underscore and underscore me on Instagram or find us on Facebook at Melanin and Me UK. If you felt empowered or motivated from any of our episodes, we love to hear it. So feel free to contact us by emailing melaninandme at yahoo.com or slide on in on our DMs on our social accounts. Don't forget to share some love, drop us a review and share with any of your fellow queens who might be uplifted by tuning into Melanin and Me. For now, enjoy today's episode. Hello lovely ladies and welcome back to another episode of Melanin and Me and today we have the wonderful, the beautiful Martha who is CEO of JMB Consulting. Hey Martha, how are you doing? Hey, hey I'm good, thanks for having me. Thank you We're for coming. We're very excited and... to have you. Yeah. Oh me too, <laughs> big smiles on my face right now. <laughs> I think I'm smiling as well. I'm like, ah, biggest grin. <laughs> but this is always me. This is always me. So you're not getting anything different. <laughs> Martha, tell us a little bit like about yourself and how you came to be established and become CEO. Can we get a round of applause for CEO? Oh, CEO. Oh, I'm like the first one tapping for myself. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Um, consulting yeah tell us tell us more it's quite it's dramatic to go like all the way back to when I was a baby right but I am going to do that (laughs) um so when I was a baby I know I know it's such a good story I thought you know like I was touched by like greatness no way so my my mum used to work at the Maya Angelou Centre um as part of the NSPCC and it was in Tottenham right and Maya Angelou came to visit it and I don't remember no this as a baby. My mum could have lied about this, but I think she, you wouldn't lie about man, my Angelou holding your child. Yes. My and my mum took me. Obviously, my Angelou's comments. This is my baby. My Angelou held me. Imagine. So no, 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 no. This explains yeah. a lot. This explains, this explains a, lot. a lot. Um. So that was kind of the first thing, and then the second thing when I was. I love these stories because like, not much has changed since I was a child. Uh, when I was 11, I led a, a campaign in my primary school because I thought it was really unjust that the boys could wear trousers and I couldn't. Uh, this is the beginning of me wrestling with my gender identity, but I didn't know that. I just thought it was a political campaign. Um, so, I've all, so I did this like campaign and I was successful and the girls got to wear trousers, right? And from then I probably knew one person can make a difference um Mm -hmm. and that I had a knack for campaigning and for getting what I want basically uh luckily what I want is justice for all people (laughs) (laughs) um and then yeah I spent most of my career in the charity sector so I was a fundraiser for 10 years um and I always worked in kind of like you know white majority fundraising teams especially in large organizations and I think yeah, it, there was, it, it was a lonely experience, but I don't think I really kind of understood it in that kind of way. I think I, you know, didn't want to see that I was feeling lonely. I think I just wanted to like fit in and, like, you know, settle in. And it wasn't until I started, you know, mingling a little bit more with people of colour in the sector. I was like, oh, these people are so cool. And like, they're talking about the things that we're just not talking about in our organisations. And yeah met a few amazing people one of them being the incredible Camille who hosts the conference with me 
we met at the EDI event. Um, (laughs) We met at an EDI (laughs) event um, and ended up going to Charity So White together um, on a date, actually. Uh, (laughs) Nice, nice, nice. nice. (laughs) Um, She took me, she's like, let's go to this charity. She knows I'm into social justice, so she was trying to impress me. She did a really good job. Uh, (laughs) 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 Took me to my first Charity So White event and I was so interested in like race and racial injustice and especially kind of like race, gender and sexuality and how, you know, the project of kind of colonization was also a project of homophobia and transphobia, right? Um, and um, and it was like, I finally found my people because they were talking about institutional racism. They were talking about where money goes, how money moves, you know, who has access to resource, who doesn't. And I was like, right, yeah. honestly, Nobody is talking like this at all. And this is kind of, you know, the, I think I joined Charity So White in 2019. And I think the sector has caught up, thankfully, uh, because unfortunately of, you know, the resurgence of Black Lives Matter in 2020. Um, so, yeah, joined Charity So White, did a bunch of really cool stuff. And then in the meantime, I was trying to find, this is a very long story. Sorry, like I'm like proper going no, for it. No, <laughs> <that's what laughs> I'm Cool. I'm like, it. <laughs> so, um, so, so I'm doing all this charity so white stuff. I'm loving doing all this anti-racist stuff. You know, we have the attention of the sector. Um, I've never done public speaking before. I actually was terrified of public speaking, but I was kind of growing. No, you're confident. not. Are you serious? Like, uh, you I'm not now. Oh my god, now. I, when I was at university, I couldn't even like stand up in seminars and talk about my ideas. Like. Mm-hmm. I, I, can't, I mean, I went to a very racist university, so maybe that was part of it. Yeah. 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 You know, but, but yeah, I was just growing in confidence and feeling my own power, right? Look and at you it, now, a whole CEO. I know. I know. It's, it's wild to think that was like just over two years ago. Um, mm. And then meanwhile, I'm looking for new jobs and fundraising. I wasn't really happy where I was. Um, got a new job. Uh, it, at the Roundhouse in Camden and I secured this job maybe like three weeks before we found out about the pandemic <laughs> so oh. yeah so the Roundhouse Theatre um, obviously had to shut um, they were like we can't take you on um, which yeah. is just understandable obviously like they had to close for like we thought it was going to yeah. be three months or something but it was like you know almost a year or maybe longer so I set, set up my consultancy, right? My plan was to be a super awesome fundraising consultant. So that's all I really knew. And you are. I am. I mean, I don't do that much fundraising anymore because it's quite hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. quite stressful. Um, yeah, now that I've done other things, I'm like, gosh, like I'm just really stressed. Um, mm. Yeah, so started my consultancy, was expecting to do uh, fundraising, and one of the first jobs I got was to curate the first fundraising conference for people of colour in the UK, and it's right. just all gone from there, right? Like, wow. Name Online was supposed to be an event for, like, I don't know, like, 200 charities, ended up with mm. thousands of people tuning in, like, wow. we were trending number two on Twitter all day. That was, no way. I was just like, little old me. No <laughs> really? Yeah, and then it's just growing from there. Now we have a five-person team, which is wild. And it's like me and all my closest friends, like kind of, she's like helped me uh, start start off um, keeping me sane, I guess. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and a couple of other people from the sector. It's going really well. I'm very pleased. Um, but yeah, that's the, the long story of wow. how I got to be the CEO of JMB Consulting. A lot of it was by accident, but it was it felt like it was written in the stars for me to be honest. Yeah. I don't feel like it's an accident. Everything is set in stone and like there's a path and there's a journey, and obviously that's your journey. Can I just ask tell me no? I don't want to tell you, but can I just ask how old you are? Because what you've um, done. And I look at you, you literally are a baby. And you've I've got, got a baby face. Yeah. yeah. I'm 29. So I was, I was 27 when I started. Great age. Great age. Great Arthur. age. Right. 29. 29 crew. <laughs> 29, 25. Um, yes, it's my 30th year this year. Uh, but I was, I was 27 when I did the conference. And 
you know in the UK we have this kind of obsession with ages and what year you were in in school and yeah thinking that for a certain you know people are like, oh you've done so well for a certain age but I think about like you know where my dad's from Nigeria entrepreneurs are so young like it is just like given to be out there kind of trying to make your mark on the world um, yeah. I feel like maybe I inherited a little bit of that entrepreneurial spirit from my my father's side of the family um mm. But yeah, I, I'm relatively young. Uh, I don't often tell people my age, but I don't mind now. I feel oh, a bit more okay. chilled about it. <laughs> I'm a bit chilled about it now. Well, I'm almost 30, so people will start taking me seriously soon. <laughs> oh, no, we take you seriously. <laughs> Anti-racism is the process in which we actively identify and opposing racism. Some people are not so aware of what some of the signs are, are and what they should be looking out for. So, for example, in a workplace, they might just think, oh, it's just a bit weird and a bit awkward. They don't really know how to navigate that space and how to identify those little signs that might pop up, the microaggressions. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that and how we can empower our people to essentially identify those um racism incidents if you like yeah I mean it's a difficult one right because should it be on us as people of color to be able to identify our own oppression in workplaces where we don't have that much power mm. it's really hard because you know I think often we think you know what is, what do we need to kind of tackle racism we need more mentoring for young people but like is yeah. that going to actually stop you know leadership being all white all white and male and this and heck right not really so I guess like my advice for people who are trying to navigate uh, racism in the workplace is to find your tribe, find mm. a collective of other black people, people of color, like my friendship with Cam. I know you've seen me cry in the conference talking about how much I love her, but my friendship with Cam has been, <laughs> it, was, like, it held me together when things were quite, has been quite tough in, in workplaces. I have quite a few kind of collectives of people of color, even Charity So White, you know, we were doing this together. Mm. um pick your battles <laughs> we can't yeah. kind of change everything uh I know at the start I was like one person can change a lot but like one person cannot dis dismantle systemic racism so mm -hmm. there's something about you know finding people within your organization who um who, who can support you not just black people but white people as well Mm -hmm. um, yeah. in terms of like what people should be looking out for I mean racism is a given like we live in a racist society that is predicated on white supremacy and slavery and genocide so your organization is racist and like that's the starting point <laughs> because yeah. how could it not be racist especially in the charity sector like the whole charity sector is kind of part of the project of colonialism and imperialism right mm -hmm. it's kind of the nice face of, of some really kind of ugly practices historic practices yeah. and current practices start with the assumption that your organization is racist basically <laughs> but I do think it, it's, it's not for people of color to, to I don't know like mental their way out of racism or to like spot the signs really it's for white people who created the system of racism yeah to, you know shoulder this burden right yeah it's it's hard like what what are you going to do like if you're not the perpetrator of something to stop yeah. things from happening <laughs> that's true yeah. I feel like often people aren't aware of even their own biases and like in a workplace people aren't aware of themselves so how can you're right if I'm not aware how can I then be able to see all these things that are happening so you are right in that sense of we just need to be a bit more I don't know we, we spoke um in our other episode that we had previously about the um element or the concept of allyship and we, yeah. we sort of like said how allyship is basically a decent human being who wants everything to be equal and you're here for equality. So I, I'm not, I don't really like the, the term allyship because it's sort of me like, a, yeah, it's like yeah, there's this either. group of people and then you've got the allies. Well, no, because we should all just naturally. It, it always wanting. makes me feel like. It always like reminds me of a battle. It reminds me of like, do you know, like them real old school medieval films yeah. where it's like there's a front line and there's like, right, the allies are yeah. here. That's <laughs> I always think anyway, maybe just me. <laughs> yeah. Um no, I'm with you. I am I, I'm I'm going to do an event in a couple 
I think in a couple of months, maybe in April, called Against Allyship, because I heavily critique even the idea of allyship. Like, I'm very critical, like, about all things. Like, it can be quite difficult to talk to me because, like, people will say things and I'm like, well, let me tell you about this critique I have. So um, the reason I, I find the term allyship difficult, especially actually, like, in the in the charity sector, is because it's basically the white saviour by another name, right? Yeah, um, Often, like, when you call someone out for racism or somebody is trying to kind of paint themselves in a good light, they'll say, I'm an ally. As though just giving yourself that name means that Mm -hmm. you've done anything to, you know, improve my material conditions, improve, you know, my experience in the workplace. Often I feel like ally is the way to kind of block people from criticizing you. It's like saying I'm a good person Mm. when that's got absolutely nothing to do with racism. Like being a good person isn't anything to do with like economics or kind of ideology or kind of the cultural, you know, the fabric of our society, the culture that shapes yeah. us, right? So I kind of opt for the language of coalition and co-conspirators because mm-hmm. we need to recognise that, like, all of our struggles are intertwined anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Like, most, so many people are op- oppressed on a class basis or a kind of yeah. sexuality yeah, basis, yeah. a race basis. Yeah. Exactly, right? So actually, it's like, what, what do we have in common? Uh, is that we have the same oppressor. <laughs> and actually <laughs> we don't need work. to we don't need allies to kind of yeah like stand beside us and yeah. so much of it that's kind of based around like guilt and seeing yourself as the protagonist as well in the kind of you know it's I, I find it so weird like that that whole 2020 where everyone was like I'm an ally like I thought that was <laughs> one of the weirdest things that I've ever seen I just can't believe that people aren't embarrassed and like aren't deleting their posts like you know feverishly because it was just so performative and like quite just, yeah. like, hysterical like it was <laughs> it was really strange behavior that's the word that's a great word yeah yeah so, but I, I, I can understand why there's a, like, a lot of lack of racial literacy I think in the UK so I understand why people make misguided choices mm. <laughs> yeah so Mar- Martha like why is this shift in transformational leadership so important so like how will all the work that you're doing help benefit black and brown leaders of tomorrow? Well, God, it's a, it's a big question because I don't know how, like <laughs> what the future is going to look like. And like, that's what makes it so difficult. Like we can only see like, yeah. the structures that we live in. Like we can, only, we can only imagine more white supremacy, if I'm being honest, right? Because we haven't even yeah. the room to use our imaginations. Like, I have no idea what an anti-racist world could look like or could feel like. I just know that this is not it. Mm. (laughs) So for me, I think about, you know, what would like a decolonial process look like? Um, It would be a process led by black and brown people because the colonial Mm. process was a process led by white people, right? And like, Mm -hmm. of course, there were black and brown people who were kind of part of the colonial process who were, you know, getting kind of benefits from the British Empire and who were selling out their own people, of course, but it can still be the same the other way. There will be black and brown people who will lead um, the decolonial pro- uh, process here in Africa, in you know uh, Latin America, and there will be white people as well who are our co-conspirators. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, it's about getting to that world, um, but I don't know what, it, what it's gonna look like at all. I think that's like the big picture there, like, but, but maybe like on the day to day, I don't want to see any more black women crying in toilets. Like, I don't yeah. want to see like any, yeah. you know, more black women like getting passed up for promotion when the person yeah. who gets their job knows the manager and has never had like, done a day of kind of, you know, that uh, professionalism in their life. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big question. Like, I, I want there to be joy in this world, you know, I want people mm. to able to enjoy going to work and I think what's been so interesting for me has been you know that shift to working from home I see how much happier black women especially are when they don't have to see their colleagues anymore like you don't don't have to do that awkward thing where you walk in the office and your hair changes every day and they're like what's going on guys (laughs) and now I can condition my hair at home and nobody knows about it right even better Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I, I, I want to see, see an anti-racist world. Like, I, I, it's hard for me because I believed for a really long time that the charity sector 
was going to be the social justice sector that it had the capacity to you know to do that and then I kind of learned that it was built upon these colonial structures anyway mm. and it's kind of like shattered my my vision a little bit um so it does feel really difficult like to imagine a future um I can probably only imagine like three weeks ahead <laughs> more than anything mm. but what I do know is that we are not in any way equipped enough with our yeah. understanding of history of our understanding of kind of demystified social relations of you know racism but also capitalism like we don't mm-hmm. understand enough to get ourselves out of this mess I don't understand enough sometimes mm. I think like I don't want to sound like it's like this is not imposter syndrome because I know I'm good at my job but I'm not even mm. qualified to be doing this stuff because mm. I don't know enough you know we mm. we don't know enough about our colonial past about the British empire about you know um, so all, much I of think, that knowledge was destroyed so yeah <laughs> and I think on, on that market like every, every like every person's journey is so different right and I think one of the things that I massively benefited from personally so I was at the time just moved into a senior leadership role um, at the charity that I was based at and the BAME online conference came at the best time and I think it was Saba who then set up a kind of almost support group for um, women of colour um, who are in leadership roles. Well, and it was, it. yeah, that's the one. And it was so powerful. It was really sad that it was needed, but it was so mm. powerful. And the reason why, because you've got people of all ages who are in absolutely incredible roles, like genuinely like high level roles across the country in all different kind of areas and fields in the charitable sector but finding that they're having exactly the same challenges, you know, but in slightly different ways. And, you know, I completely understand why you say, you know, you feel like you're not qualified. You know, I took on the role as EDI lead and, you know, kind of you, you pigeonhole yourself in that role for because of who you are, but also because you're passionate, right? But then mm-hmm. you know full well that you're the one driving it. So actually, is everyone going to have buy-in because it's tokenistic or because, you know, they believe in what you're saying? And it's, it's a really hard thing to, we know there needs to be representation, but at the same time, when you're driving it yourself, it can feel like you're a bit of a lone wolf mm-hmm. and there's no, there's no guide, right? There's no like, this is how to break these systems yeah. down. Just yeah. learning, understanding, listening, etc. I feel like yeah. that EDI role is really, really difficult role. I've currently got a friend who has an EDI role. And when I tell you, she is in tears every single day. Like she comes home, she gives us a call and she's like, this happened today. Can you believe it? This happened today. It's just like one thing after the other, honestly, trying to dismantle what people already know to um, take away some of their privileges. You do come against a wall to a certain degree mm. and it's mental, absolutely mental. Um, in many ways, I think, I mean, I don't do EDI, like I've never really done it. Um, it's difficult because you have to work within the structures that you have. Like yeah. you're trying to include people into these structures that were not made for them, right? Yeah. Like it's really difficult. I get the luxury of telling everyone to bun it down and like start again. Like I'm like, no, we, <laughs> I'm like, we need to go right back and we need to like change history, you know? Like it's, I think they're really, I think, I, I think, I think EDI is an impossible role. I think that it's not a resource in any way, mm-hmm. in, in any way that it could make someone successful in it. They'll just have the one person doing it probably for free, right? You don't have like a whole team, but actually like this kind of work is so important. Like it cuts across absolutely everything and you're just set up to fail almost every single time. And yeah. then they go, oh, well, you know, it was just that foolish brown woman. She was incompetent. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, we yeah. shouldn't do EDI again because that person fucked it up so much. Sorry, I thought, can I swear? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've done it. It's okay. fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's... You're good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it is difficult. And yeah, like these kind of transformational, organizational change things are really difficult. And I think, mm-hmm. I don't think I would even kind of attempt to do it. Like, I quite like being on the outside. Um, because I get to kind of set the parameters of like, you know, what we do. And I spend so much time being like, this is purely, we need, you need to be educated. So most of the work yeah. I do is about building racial literacy, helping people to understand like what, I mean, if I asked 
most people in the UK, what is racism? They couldn't give me an answer. If I ask most people in the UK, what is race? They can't give me an answer. Um, like, like, so like, we're not starting from a very good place. Um, mm -hmm. But we have, you know, organizations, leaders who are thinking, I'm going to create this anti-racism action plan. I'm not mm -hmm. going to consult any people of color. I don't know what race is. I don't know what racism is. I don't know what, why, I, I can't even say white supremacy without throwing up. Like, mm -hmm. what hope do we have? <laughs> you know, like yeah, what yeah. do we actually have you know and, and I feel like that that's kind of the kind of denialism and mm -hmm. I think kind of I don't even know what the word arrogance I guess of like British culture yeah that we think that we're experts and things that we don't even talk about we're afraid to talk about and it's it's wild like it's wild out there <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> we need to go back to the motherland. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, <laughs> I, I well, I mean, it's all connected, isn't it? Like we the problems away, that you know yeah. are, are happening here are deeply connected to what we've done. <laughs> maybe, maybe one what. day. Do you reckon one day, in like thousand and thousand of years down the line, there will be a place where? equality is a thing and there's no racism I don't think there will ever will be ever <laughs> I don't because know. even if you look Maybe. at history like even if you look at history back in the day there was still classism and racism that still existed since but they whose history are you talking about when you say that ah oh, oh. Uh -huh. even mm. Yeah, it's like, it's like Narnia though. There's like racism, right? I swear to God, in that film, like you know the little the little guy, Mr. Who's Narnia written by? For example, religion from a religious perspective. So if we have, I I am very familiar with the Quran. Okay, so in the Quran, it mentions how back in the day there was classism and religion was sort of like set up to ensure that mm -hmm. that was taken away and everybody coexisted and it actually says in the Quran no man is different to like a black man a white man an Asian man none of those are different in the eyes of God they're all the same so from that perspective I sort of like take away from that is that racism always existed and over time we've tried to get rid of it but it's literally impossible uh well, I'm going to be like, well, you're totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what you Look, so, 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 so racism hasn't always existed. Like, race hasn't always existed, right? Race was created, it was artificially created as a way to justify slavery. And that's it, right? There were differences in nationality, ethnicities. Of course, there was tensions yeah. between different tribes. But race as yeah. a concept has only existed since the 1660s, right? And right, okay. like, so this hierarchy was kind of created um, to justify slavery. So there was these people who were human, they were the white people, they're human beings. Um, and, you know, these people are the black people, they are not human. Um, and like the whole kind of concept of whiteness, right, is a political project. It's a idea that you can buy into. And that's why you'll see there are white people who are not white. Like, how mm. is that? Like, <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. And like I, there are some things about race that like just don't make sense. It's because we've been led to believe it's about skin color, and really it's about a particular social order who has access to opportunity, who gets exploited, and who doesn't. And I think mm -hmm. if you if you go back and you learn your history, then it becomes easier to at least see a way out because it hasn't always been like this. You know, it's only been like this mm -hmm. for five hundred years. It's the concept mm -hmm. of race, but there has always been, of course, exploitation, slavery, and different forms. But it wasn't as a way to build capital. I think that's mm -hmm. what's kind of made the difference, right? So because I'm like going straight into it. No, <laughs> you, you tell us, tell us, tell us. Because, because, the, because the project of slavery was creating the riches of kind of, you know, Britain, America, the West, the European project, right? Like, and we're still kind of in that process now where, you know, the, Europe and the Americas are benefiting from the legacy of slavery, right? and still exploiting the poorest black and brown people across the world, mm -hmm. right, through, you know, um, unfair labor conditions. Um, so racism has to exist in order for capitalism to keep surviving. Mm -hmm. And that's why they call it racial capitalism sometimes, because it's a mm -hmm. racial project. Um, so I think, yes, there will always be, well, I don't know whether there will always be, 
always be violence. There has always been violence. But something that I always kind of go back to is if you kind of look at more like indigenous practices and their yes. relationship to the earth and their relationship to each other, how they make decisions. I mean, I don't think I'm an expert on indigenous practice, but like even like indigenous forms of knowledge, like knowledge by celebration, knowledge by practice, all of these things. Yeah. Like there are others, other ways of kind of ordering society but I think we have been miseducated like really quite severely like you have to really put in work to yeah. find out the truth of the of our colonial past I think it's easier now there's more and more amazing black British writers especially writing about kind of you know the history of racism Emma Dabbery has this amazing book called what white people can do next and she literally like pinpoints the day whiteness as a race as a concept began in 1661 mm-hmm. as a way for us to understand like this is a process of racialization like it's happening to people race is used as a tool um, mm-hmm. rather that's why people say racialized people nowadays right people have started to use that kind of terminology um it's like for me like it's it's fascinating it's terrible like we're still existing in it in the same in it now um but you know there is there is there is just yeah we didn't learn about any of this at school obviously because mm. it takes the british empire and a terrible light um, light yeah yeah like really really quite damning um so I don't know what question I'm answering I feel like I just went into a rant about like history as I <laughs> always do <laughs> no we love it we love it we love it this is this is why we're here right because it's for us to be able to talk about the why we're here today the why you know the why behind JMB consulting you know where you got to where you where you are so it's great to hear it it really is thank you I'm like in awe of your brain I I just want to go in it (laughs) yeah you you don't like you actually don't (laughs) there is like it's just constant it's like ding 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 ding. (laughs) it's like oh my gosh I'm like some of my friends are like you need to stop thinking about racism like just stop it So code switching, for listeners who've not heard of this phrase, tell us a little bit more about it. Okay, so code switching is, I guess, switching between, I guess you could call them dialects, right? Mm-hmm. A white dialect and a non-white dialect. Phone voice. I feel like I'm not, phone voice, right? Your, your white person voice. <laughs> I'm not even sure like what my voice sounds like anymore because I've spent so much time around white people, around people of colour, like. I wish I knew <laughs> what, what I was supposed to sound like. Um, but yeah, co-switching, I guess, is just is a, is a way to make, for me, it's a way to make myself safe in white environments. So mm-hmm. I might start talking a little bit more like this. <laughs> rather than like this. You're not, you're not gonna walk in the office like what up homies like, what? <laughs> but you'll have white people come up to you and say what up homie and it's like yes! oh my god <laughs> get away from me <laughs> oh my god i'm just gonna say how sad is it that we actually laugh about it but this is like our daily realities that's life it's yeah it's life. so sad Mm. I haven't I've noticed a difference now that like I have my own consulting firm of just how free I am to be myself and turn up how yeah. I want to turn up and I didn't realize like how limited it was before and I sleep better I don't grind my teeth anymore because I don't have to code switch like I don't really I'm out here talking about race all the time I don't know why am I going to yeah. talk that in like you know my white voice but yeah it, it's really difficult it's, it's difficult for your I think it's bad for your mental health right to yeah. try and fit yourself into this mold of whiteness that was never made for you but is expected yeah. of you at all times right um which is I, I I think it's really really challenging and I don't think people of color um one can bear to face up to how it feels like really mm-hmm. like because it would we wouldn't be able to go about our daily lives right so you just kind of like keep going through the motions and doing these things that are literally survival tactics um I say co-switching is a, a means of survival a means mm-hmm. of you know like if you were in the wild you camouflage yourself with your environment so the tigers don't it's get you com- yeah it's a comedian <laughs> effect you know? right like I mean even um I guess you know for me personally um 
as as I'm a mixed race um, woman, like that's actually it, it. It plays part of your identity as well, you know, because for you to be from one day maybe sat in you know a room full of your white colleagues and you know you're kind of being looked at as like oh my gosh you know like she's the black girl from the Caribbean you know kind of expecting even just my name you know if you read my name obviously my mum did me dirty because she gave me the worst <laughs> ever um, but people <laughs> read it dirty. right so you know you're Caribbean like it's obvious <laughs> <laughs> They read it. They that see my so face. Cute. I instantly they call me Alicia, and I know they're thinking, "Ah, oh, you know, Alicia Dixon." Like, you know, and I'm like, "Oh no. God, but it's actually yeah. man." Like, <laughs> so I, just, That's I so interesting. Okay, yeah. I get called Marta without the H because they think I must have some kind of foreign name rather than Marta. Ob- obviously, oh obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why? You know, you hear of them anglicizing your name, but why would you like? blackify my name it's interesting you mentioned kind of being mixed race and I think you know that's been I think race has been a huge part of my life from the moment I was you know in my family home why don't mm. I look like my dad why don't I look like my mom like why mm. you know, it was always there it's kind of been the puzzle that has been you know kind of haunting me for my entire life it's so nice that I get to work through my actual like I wouldn't say childhood trauma, but like some, yeah, it's a point six, it is kind of traumatic. Yeah, yeah. But I can work through a lot of that um, and help other people work through it at the same time. And I feel like this work is a healing process for me as much as it is for other people. I feel like I'm going on an emotional journey every single day, every time I talk mm-hmm. about it. Like, even this conversation, like some, mm-hmm. of the, some of the things, I'm like, gosh, yeah, like it really does feel like that, um, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I feel like I haven't actually said anything about my work, my conference, just to like chat about <laughs> Well, well, funny, funny you should say that, Martha, because um, we're just about to dive into that because um, obviously we know that the um, the BAME online conference is going to come up the 28th of July this year. We'll put the link yeah. on the footnotes. Exactly. Yeah. The date in the diaries, guys. Um, so just from personal experience, I think I mentioned earlier, I attended this last year and it was I think did you have it's two already so maybe it was 2020 yeah. as well yeah it yeah was, so I remember you coming out of that yeah oh yeah what was what was what was actually like coming out of the day when like yeah I want to know yeah so <laughs> I remember her coming out of that and messaging me and she was like oh my god I've just been in this amazing online thing she actually got me to like have a look online and do a bit of research on what it was because I was like oh my god that sounds really really good so she was absolutely buzzing out of that I remember yeah that. and see oh. she, and, and she's race race not just saying that as well you know she she'd she would yeah. she'd she'd own up if it was like nah she came out and she said it was whack like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that that can't be true <laughs> <laughs> for me like it was so it was like a trailblazer like it was a platform that I personally hadn't seen or been involved in before it was very also very bespoke very tailored to that audience because obviously there being the fundraiser element you know so I personally really felt like I belonged um Mm. the speakers were absolutely incredible um you know really really inspiring and just again there's something so powerful about being even though it's a virtual room being in a in a room of of people like you you know like-minded mm. people who get it who absolutely get it so you know I guess we want people who are listening in you know if you even if you're not in that sector like it if you if you want to kind of gain some knowledge experience understanding of you know that world Martha just tell us a little bit about what what to expect for this year oh god well you tell me like I've not even planned anything so <laughs> I, came, I was like I need to I need to get out there and talk about the conference but I was like oh wait I have nothing to talk about I can talk about the conference itself uh, <laughs> I can tell you a little bit about the history of it it was it's, it's I, I think it's so cool how it all happened to be honest obviously it's not called the circumstances but there was this mm, report yeah. that came out um by this organization called Ubele Initiative in 2020 and it was at the start of the pandemic and it said if there is an urgent funding investment, 90% of black and brown led organizations will close, right? 90%. I was like, oh my God, that is awful. And then another report came out about 
the overall charity sector, including white charities, how many would close without urgent funding investment? 10%. Yeah. 10% compared to 90%. That's what I was like, racism is alive and well. Like that was a huge moment for me. Like I was just like, really? I, I, I'm still like, I'm still shocked by it. It's been two mm. years and I'm just absolutely shocked by that, you know? And um, I got together with fundraising everywhere. Um, and I spoke to loads of organizations led by uh, black and brown people. And I was just like, look, what don't you know about fundraising? What do you need to know? We'll put together this conference. It's free for them to go, right? So we did a fee model, which is pay what you can, which means anyone can go regardless of their training budget, regardless if you want to go on your own. Uh, but if you are a white person who has lots of money, if you are an organization who has lots of money, you should be paying for the place of someone that doesn't. Um, mm. So I got these, yeah, incredible sessions together. And what kind of started as a fundraising conference became a conversation with the charity sector about institutional racism in a way that had just like never happened before. And it was amazing. Like it was just so amazing. And, you know, we were talking about the charity industrial complex. We were talking about imperialism. Like these are things that we do not talk about in the British mm. charity sector. But because I was in charge, I was like, we're we going to talk like, about this. <laughs> we're hey. going to talk about imperialism. <laughs> we're going to open our, our conference talking about imperialism. And of course, like, because I think fundraisers are operating in this world, like fundraising and philanthropy is so deeply rooted in colonial slavery history, right? Like fundraisers don't even realize like what they're operating in. When you ask a foundation for a bunch of money to pay for a Black-led organization to do X, Y, Z, where do you think they got that money from? Mm. They stole it from us. Mm. <laughs> and then we're writing applications to get a tiny bit of that money back and they get to decide what the projects are going to be. I don't think so. So I kind of started this like huge conversation to change that, right? To really talk about how money moves in our sector and in our world, right? Because mm -hmm. like this is like huge amounts of money like we're talking about. This is, you know, organizations, philanthropists, funders, banks who are trying to rehabilitate their image after stealing you know <laughs> so yeah. after um and i wanted i wanted the sector to understand that because they just didn't they didn't know um so it was kind of wild like i feel we're like semi-responsible for like a whole heap of learning that happens in like one very short space of time so yeah it's more than a fundraising conference we talk about power we talk about reparations we talk about what it takes to be a good leader we talk about how to navigate the complicated power dynamics of being a person of color who is asking white people for money, who is, you know, sitting mm. on a board. Talk about, the, in the final session of the last conference, we did a session called Founders Friendship and How to Get Through the Hard Stuff, right? And it was me and my best friend and Shay Akiwowo, who founded Glitch uh, and her best friend, just talking about how hard it is to have founded something as black women, um, mm. what it has mm. meant to have our friends behind us, like and mm -hmm. I don't know it's like these things are things that I don't know like mainstream white conferences are not talking about it they don't value it like they value income targets they value when you did a good campaign and I'm like mm -hmm. I value getting through the bloody day without crying yep. yeah yep. <laughs> yep. 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 And it's, that, that and it's be, true that like, should be a KPI right that should be a KPI yeah. <laughs> <laughs> literally and um, and, you know, building community and doing this together and like really being brave and being creative and being joyful. And like those are my, my values. I always talk about them. Anti-racism, bravery, creativity and joy. And I get to bring that to the sector once a year. <laughs> and it's yeah. bloody amazing. Yeah. Um, so I haven't planned anything this year apart from I feel like we're going to, I guess, like move away from thinking about fundraising so much and think about ourselves as part of this global economy and you know I think sometimes kind of the language of like fundraising and philanthropy it mystifies into something that sounds really nice like something that mm -hmm. is part of this huge kind of global economic and political system yeah. uh, that is deeply um you know deeply uh, unequal um and actually like what does it mean to like own up to like what we're complicit in and like mm -hmm. give it the proper name imperialism <laughs> and yeah. you know like really kind of stick with that uh but these are just ideas I don't really know what I'm gonna do yet um 
So I'm going to be just as surprised as you are, I'm sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the, the key thing that we can all promise that it's going to be a wonderful, incredible event. And yeah. when I'm not sure when the link is going to be out for people to start signing up to it. Is that already out? Or? It's out. It's out. I have it. I will send it oh, to you. Yeah, um, amazing. We'll put it in the footnote of the episode. That's awesome. cool. Awesome. So for workplaces who are looking to make a change to become more anti-racist, what three main points would you give them and what three tips would you say, these are the things that you need to start doing? I know there's like an array of things, but if we could oh, narrow it down. No, I've got three. No, I got three. <laughs> <laughs> you ready? I have three. I'm ready with my three because this is not the first time I've been asked that question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I take my, like a lot of my learning from, I guess, feminist like abolition theory and kind of the process of decolonization and like uh I guess like abolition theory says um oh god I forgot now (laughs) (laughs) learning Learning, reflection and action right like those are the three things that you need to be doing right you need to learn right like you have like don't start acting before you've learned Mm -hmm. right and this is what people are doing they're like oh my god we must act and that's how you end up with black squares because if you had done your research, you would know that that is absolutely meaningless. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And that also, like, we're going to laugh at you for, like, five years. I have, I don't know how long I will be laughing at Black Squares for. Like, it was, it was a terrible decision. But, so, yeah. And, like, by, by learning, I mean, like, really kind of learning about the history of the British Empire, about the European uh, project of kind of racial capitalism, uh, really learning, yeah. like dedicating yourself to learning the gruesome parts, the like mental, spiritual, physical loss that happened in that in that time. You know, we don't even know the scale of loss that happened in kind of mm-hmm. colonialism. We have no idea. Um, but like really learning about that um, and then reflecting on your own positionality in that, you know, mm-hmm. like for me, like. I have white people, white leaders who want to do anti-racist work. They can't even say that they're white. They can't have a conversation about whiteness. Like mm. what, you know, like, <laughs> and, and you know, for me, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, would you lead an organization when you don't have a clue what you're doing? Like, or maybe they would, but like, you know, you, you know, in, in order to lead like a project, like you have to have like some kind of basis understanding. You need to have yeah, reflected yeah, on your ability to do this. You know, mm-hmm. there is a lack of reflection happening that I just find very troubling. Uh, so <laughs> learn and reflect. Um, and I mean, it's talking about things, it's not reading lists, it's not about reading books on your own, it's about talking through ideas together, right? Mm-hmm. It's about like really being able to like, you know, hold these difficult conversations in community with other people because yeah, yeah. reading lists is just white supremacy again. Like white supremacy yeah. loves the written word, but it does not value conversation. Mm-hmm. It does not value coming together and having a little party and talking about anti-racism <laughs> like it doesn't matter that whatsoever it will tell you to read white fragility or whatever that book by robin d'angelo who is a white woman who has made millions of talking about anti-racism mm. by the way <laughs> before it will tell you to go and talk with amongst your team about yeah. what whiteness looks in our work looks like in our work and then act right <laughs> act after you know action you after you've done your learning you've done your reflection Right. And there's an amazing um, Hawaiian activist called Poka Lainey who talks about the process of decolonization. Um, I always feel like decolonization always sounds like some big thing, you know, but it's just, you know, dismantling white supremacy. Um, mm-hmm. And she always says that the process goes learning or uh, recovery and rediscovery, which is like learning and unlearning. Um, then mourning, which is a really important social process. Like, I think there is so much grief mm-hmm. for white people as well though because they're holding mm-hmm. on to like you know, such fear that they might ever be caught out as racist like it's yeah. actually like crippling but it's like fam we are all racist like we were <laughs> born into this racist society like it is the natural conclusion of mm. our society is for us all to be racist like, right. like if I would be shocked if you weren't <laughs> I really yeah. would be right I know. And then uh, dreaming, which is like, you know, imagining worlds that we couldn't possibly, like when you ask me, you know, what, 
what do I want for people of color in the sector? And I was like, I don't even really know. Like, what do I want for? I don't know because I haven't been able to dream that. Like, all I know for is them to take over this. the world. I know. Is that what we want? That's black supremacy. Ah, it's also scary. <laughs> never, never. <laughs> Any time supremacy is very scary. Um, and then, so you then you have your yeah, you have your dreaming, and then you have your action, uh, your commitment, and then you have your action. And I feel like so much of it is the learning, the reflection, and the action always. Oh, I absolutely love that. I think those. I think those three just. It's also very simple, right, to remember. I think sometimes when we think about, you know, you hear lots of like practical tips and stuff. I think, you know, the learning, reflecting action, it's like, it's very, it's like, what's the, the tube thing? See it, say it, sort it. It's like, it sticks in your yeah. head, right? So, <laughs> you know, then take any leaf out of the kids, uh, not my playbook. Slogan, slogan, slogan. <laughs> great great you know great stuff for people to be able to take on board you know really memorable and very powerful as well so Mm -hmm. um Martha like we've absolutely loved listening to everything that you the wonderful stuff you've been doing where the kind of you know the context behind it your wonderful knowledge of the history and how you've kind of come to where you are to I'm still baff- I'm still so like yeah. starstruck that Maya you that's you the best part of the story and it's going to be the best part of the whole podcast on, like the first on, five honestly, seconds it all honestly, started honestly, with Maya and me <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sit back here and just 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 let you take over right um, but I um I know that there's there's obviously um You've got your new YouTube um, channel coming out. So um, we've just got the last the last little bit before we wrap up here is um, we just want. So we've got a Melanie and Me playlist and we ask each person to provide us with three songs. Um, they could be okay. any genre, any type of song that we add to the playlist. Right, so if, if you can give us those, be so kind and then just tell us where listeners can go and follow you and follow your YouTube channel. Uh, that would be awesome. Oh, I feel really put on the spot. Like, I'm actually having to go on my SoundCloud. Yeah. Have SoundCloud, SoundCloud app. I use SoundCloud and everyone thinks I'm very strange because I don't use SoundCloud. Yeah, that is strange. I actually, that's I, like, I, the, is it? That's like early yeah. 2000s, isn't it? <laughs> I never got out of it. Like, I never got out of it. I had a choice, right? So I, I built all my music on SoundCloud and then I think so. I think it's got more variety of music. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you know what, though, Martha? Sometimes just just use your head just use your head what is that okay. cleaning song you're gonna the- put on what's the thing that's gonna get you moving on a sunday when yeah. you're hoovering what's that thing what's that song mm, oh it's hard okay <laughs> i'm gonna go with okay i love i love taris riley like, i really love taris riley um so i'll go with she's royal that's a good it's a classic oh yeah, yeah. but clearly about I'm me wrong. because she moves to her own beat which is definitely me uh <laughs> Uh, I, love that. I love so much of my own joke. Um, okay, the next one will be. Um, do you know what? Mm, what's that song? I used to listen to it all the time. It just reminds me of just being young. Like Kate Nash, she had some song. She used to sing like this. That she was always talking. <laughs> I'm not here. It's either you're really uh, out of tune. Oh, and it's, called, it's called Foundations. Kate Nash Foundations. Kate Nash Foundations. Um, okay. And then one more song that always gets me. Oh, this is a nice one. It's called uh, Give You More. Um, oh, who's it by though? I'll have to, I don't know. I wish I could tell you. We can we can find it. Ray, Ray, Ray's a good uh, you know, song connoisseur, so I'm sure she can. Give me it. more. Give you more. Oh, I can look it up. It's by Izzo I Z O. Give you, you more. more. Izzo, let's have a down. We'll we'll find um, it. We'll find it. Don't worry. Um. Well, thank you very much. We've absolutely loved having you on the pod today. Oh, thanks it's for been, having me. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Really, really refreshing. Um, to hear some of your ideas, to get our ideas challenged as well. It's absolutely beautiful. That's how we learn. Thank you for listening, Queens. So that's a wrap on today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it and that you gained something positive from listening in. Whether that be you gained a new perspective, got some tips and tricks to motivate and inspire you, or if it just made you smile. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and leave a review so that you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And so we can bring you even more of the content that you love. 
Until next time, stay blessed, wear that crown with pride and keep shining.